Good morning and welcome to Coffee with the Sarlows. I'm Kelly. Good morning, I'm Karen. Today, Karen, we're doing part two of our show from last week, which was Control versus Love. Mm -hmm. And that was a show with three different examples, uh, just kind of tying in the concepts of what control looks like and how people mistaken it for love. Mm -hmm. So before we dive into part two today, and I know you've got your notes ready, I'm going to cover the show notes and then we'll we'll get into the good stuff. Mm -hmm. So... As always, we are advertising our Evening with Medium events that happen three times a year in April, August, and December. Excitedly, we like to announce every time that we are sold out for 2017, but tickets are on sale for our events in 2018, and that is April 27th, August 24th, and December 14th from 7 to 9 at the Hampton Inn. We do sell tickets at the door, but that actually hasn't been a thing for quite a few events now because there are none left over. Mm -hmm. So we continue to thank all of our clients who keep referring um, by word of mouth and and who just religiously show up to to support us and to be supported by the other side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Second note is uh, about our lesser known podcast show called Sips of Sanity. That's our smaller show. It's 10 to 15 minutes kind of sessions, I guess, from Monday to Friday at the beginning of every month. We cover a theme and we do kind of fun facts or good tools to help yourself with different things uh, around each area of your life, really. Mm -hmm. Third thing is that we both do personal sessions. So people have been listening to the shows and showing up for their own personal sessions saying that the shows help them get there, which is wonderful. But if you aren't aware, we do offer the personal sessions. You can come in for a half hour, full hour, or hour and a half. And we also offer group sessions. So you can contact us directly through either the website or by telephone. That's bysarlo.com and all the information is on there to inquire or book your personal sessions. Can I jump in and just remind people that personal sessions can be by Skype, FaceTime, telephone, and in person? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And last but not least, we have some really beautiful gift certificates coming in just in time for Christmas, actually. So you're more than welcome to purchase a gift certificate for maybe yourself, but maybe for someone else at any denomination that can go toward any length of the session. And those do not expire. And they do not apply to the medium with evening events. Correct. The gift certificates are strictly for sessions. And they are also strictly for either you or myself. That's correct. Okay. So um, last thing actually that I want to throw in there is that we are still doing a promotional event that our prices are going up in 2018. So as of right now, if you book a personal session for the new year, but you book it before January 1st, we are offering you this year's prices. And that's just our way of saying thank you to everyone uh, on our journey so far. Mm -hmm. So we're going to start the show. Okay, so last week we were talking about different treatments and different sessions uh, where we learn different things from people in regards to love and control and where some people get the two confused. And I understand that we can get it confused by the way that we watch TV, what we see in movies, what we see in our own homes, or what we're taught in churches and in different systems. And good literature. Yes, kids books, Disney, all kinds of things where we be we end up believing something that's quite unhealthy. Not all the shows are about unhealthy love or unhealthy control because we would don't want to call love and control the same thing. It's where people get confused. And I like that you said unhealthy control because we talk a lot about the good kind of control too. Yes. Thank you. That's that's a good point. 
the first one today, and I tried to get all of this nicely organized because I was trying to go over different sessions and treatments that you and I've talked about that are the ones that stand out for us. The ones where all of a sudden, if you're just feeling shitty, I want to think of, of a particular story or treatment that I've gone through that makes me feel good. So that's the one I'm starting with. And this is the one we actually did a podcast show about many, many sessions ago, or many podcast shows ago. And it was about an uncle who is a single man. He passed over and he came through for his niece and nephew who came to see me together, a brother, sister. And he came through because he raised them. Uh, Their parents died. I think it was an accident, but I can't recall completely. I think it was. And so he took his niece and nephew in as children. And he passed away, I believe, in his mid to late 40s of cancer. The niece and nephew came in because they wanted to hear from him. They remembered him as the parent because they were young enough that they didn't have a lot of memories of their mom and dad. And one of the things when I went back and asked him what he wanted to say in today's show. So I thought instead of just going into my memory and trying to just recall what I wanted to share, I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool if he could just come back and tell me? So I asked... This may be how our book gets written. (laughs) Yes. So I just said to him, could you come in and just say something to me? And he did. He said, Karen, he said, "I, I tried to come through in that session and say to my niece and nephew that what he tried to do in their lives before he passed was to raise them in such a way that they were able to use their own intuition, that he wanted them to trust themselves enough to trust their own intuitiveness. But in order to do that, he realized that he had to kind of give them a step back or a foundation before that. And what he realized that would look like would be all about telling the truth. So if you tell the truth to each other, if you tell the truth to me, if you feel safe enough to say the truth, then when I'm saying what's wrong, you're going to be honest about it. So if I have a feeling that you're not okay, you're not going to cover that up and hide that. They are going to be okay to say to each other. And once that foundation was built upon then he knew it was fertile grounds for allowing intuitiveness to come in. So this brother and sister were now like, I think in their mid to late 20s. And they had one of the most beautiful, loving relationships I've ever seen. Because it was really based on being able to say the truth to each other, never shooting the messenger, understanding that this is how you loved each other. This is what created a feeling of safety and intuitiveness. I'd like to point out that it's with a man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, the intention in doing that is simply because I know a lot of our examples are about mothers. And that is the majority of our clients. Those are the ones who usually come in and ask the questions about their children. But we're illustrating that there's a man with emotional intelligence trying to raise children to be good, good humans. Yeah, and complete humans, because intuitiveness, you know, according to some psychiatrists like Susan Forward, there's her name. <laughs> How far are we? Under 10 the... minutes. <laughs> okay. Um, she explained in one of the podcast shows, Kelly, that it is one fifth of our human experience. 
So if we are not engaged in our own intuitiveness, we are missing out on one fifth of our human experience. Well, could you imagine mourning that when you're going through the dying process? That you didn't even live your life fully? We go to funerals and masses and some people say, well, he lived a full life. And I want to stand up in the back of the room and go, did he? Did he really? No. Was was he intuitive? Did he really live a full life? Are you sure? (laughs) Full bullshit. (laughs) Full lies. Full avoidance. It can be full of a lot of things, can't it? (laughs) He also just said that he'd been single. He had stayed single. And his his entire 40 plus years had revolved, well, the last 20 of them anyway, 25 of them, had revolved around raising a niece and a nephew, and that they were the love of his life. That he enjoyed everything they, they gave him from a kid's perspective of being truthful. He said that they taught him so much about the innocence of it, the joy of it, so that when he went out into the work world, he could still be considered that man who had integrity. He's my starter today. Hey, that's interesting. I just had that thought. I thought, oh, why didn't she end with this? But maybe it's to start off on a happy note. Well, I yeah, I, I just think of how important it is. This is, you know, 2017. Does Is that code for the Trump era? Yes. I was trying to be careful. Yeah, but I'm reading your thoughts. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was trying to be careful because there's so much dishonesty. There's so much crazy making. There's so much narcissism. There's so much... Psych- a psychopath is literally running the United States mm-hmm. and running the world to some degree. And it's to me, it was very important to come back down to the everyday person and how each person makes a difference in each of their decisions. And you're going to hear in some of these other stories, the psychopath, mm-hmm. you're going to hear the narcissist coming to life in a marriage or uh, a partnership. This was an uncle with a niece and a nephew, which I also just absolutely loved that this man totally committed to raising these two children. This is a single man. And it chose to stay that way. Happily. This wasn't what some people might think of in terms of sacrifice. These two adult children were not his sacrifice. They were his joy. And that, to me, was a really big lesson about love. If you're in a relationship and you feel like you have to constantly sacrifice to stay in it, what the fuck are you doing? Lying to yourself and victimizing yourself. And he didn't. It was just so simple. And that was the other thing. When you're in a relationship and there's control, it's complicated. When you're in a relationship and there's true love, it is simple to some degree. Mm-hmm. It can be complicated with emotions, but it's not It's not in the decision-making. It can be complicated in health issues, but yeah. simple in the love. It can be complicated in so many other ways, as you're saying, maybe managing jobs or complicated financially. It can be complicated in other ways, but when there's love, there is some degree of it being simple. Well, and I think you, you said it quite a few times in the last episode is that it can be complicated but there's collaboration 
Oh, yeah. And, exactly. and for me, another word that comes into there is willingness. Yeah. Oh, I like that. He, he said he asked himself the question quite often in raising these two beautiful people. Uh, the question he asked was, how do I want them to feel? So I want to throw something out there right now to everybody that's ever listened to any of our podcast shows. If you choose, I challenge you, I challenge you today to go back to the beginning at your leisure or just start today if today is day one and write down on a notebook, on a Rolodex, on a piece of paper, on notepads, on a chalkboard in your kitchen, on a dry erase board. Probably on their phone. On their phone. Right. Anything they want. The questions that come out of each of the shows that we've done right from the very beginning that have created emotional intelligence awareness by listening to the shows. And can you go back and listen, pause, write down a question, create some type of system that you like, whether it's on your phone, or it's a Rolodex on your desk, or it literally is on a chalkboard in the kitchen in your home, or in your office, and perhaps write down one favorite question. Or write down two or three questions you're going to consistently ask yourself and see how it changes your life. Well, that might be the New Year's resolution. Yeah. I, I do this with coaching clients when they near the end of their program, where I will say go through and review all of the questions that you've been asked, just like you said, that pose um, the opportunity for emotional intelligence. And if you're wanting to take that one step further, to find questions that work well in combination with others. Mm -hmm. Because on different days, you're going to hear different questions because you're dealing with certain issues. But there ne there has to be um, a strategic intelligence as well to combine two things instead of just asking if then, right? And mm -hmm. instead of just taking things one step at a time, knowing how to anticipate the next process. Kelly, that was one of the questions I learned to ask myself, because in my life, having so many narcissistic people in it, I skipped process. Because when you're a people pleaser, and you have narcissists around you, you don't worry about your own process. Your goal is always to try and make the other person happy. So I skipped process. Now, I recognize in myself that I have to slow myself down so that I am following process. So one of my questions is quite often, am I skipping my own process right now? So that I can accommodate someone else? And can I enjoy process? Is it necessary? And part of that is to allow myself time to think. That's part of the process. It's thinking for myself. It's knowing what I think, believe or want. It's pulling in information and asking other people good questions to find out what they're trying to convey to me. Is that good? That was, yeah. that was one of mine. Okay, I'm, I've got so many today. I've got quite a few. So I'm going to, some of them might seem kind of short, but you'll pull, you'll extrapolate from each one. Something wonderful, I'm sure. Oh, thank you. Second one, Kelly, had to do with a family where the belief system was... I think it was two women and their children where the belief system was just keep everybody busy. There was a belief that if the children were busy, they were happy. 
if they were engaged in many activities after school and on weekends, it was a good full life. It didn't matter if they were too tired and having temper tantrums and crying. The goal was keep them busy so that when at night they just drop into bed. Underneath all of that, there was a fear that if you slowed down, they'd get into trouble. They wouldn't do their schoolwork. They wouldn't be able to keep up with the other kids. They wouldn't get into the college or university at the end of the whatever. They wouldn't get the job. They wouldn't live a good life. There was fear underneath all of this busyness. Well, you're talking about fear underneath all of the control. Yes. It could look good. You could see that family as being very active and, you know, they run, they go to hockey, they go to, you know, I don't want to pick on any sport. So they do these activities we keep busy, we go to the art center, we're cultured, we, they play music, they do this, like, I've got them going, we all go, go, go. The first thing I ask families when they say that they're that level of busy is, do you even like each other? That's what I wrote on the page, because, that they didn't like each other. Yeah, because, okay, perfect. <laughs> because <laughs> so I think to myself, if I haven't seen my best friend in t- more than two or three days, I'm checking in to say, what's on your schedule that you can drop so that we can have friend time, so that we can connect? Mm -hmm. And the point is not selfishness. The point is connection. And so if you are that busy that you can't afford to have a meal together, that you can't afford to ask them how their day is because you're busy asking them if they packed the right equipment for the, the activity that you're on your way to, do you even like spending time together? Well... Can, and I, I love what you're asking, and I'm going to keep in, going with it too, because I think it's going to keep adding on. The one client, the one woman that came to see me in the partnership said to me, no, her spirit guide said to her, you keep yourself so busy and her busy and the children busy because you're afraid that if you're not busy, she will understand she's not happy and she will leave. The underlying fear is that this is going to fall apart when you stop and she said yeah which blew me away and I said so this is why you've just purchased a new home and she goes yeah she started laughing she goes you know I got a new home and I said yes the spirit guides are saying that's why you bought the uh, what did you call it Kelly the equipment that you go ATVs the the stuff that you ride out in the bush your toys. Your toys. Thank you. So they bought toys. So they got into f- debt because now they have a, a debt that they have to share together. They need each other's incomes to keep it all going. They And they both create drama in the relationship. So there's always something to focus on. And to fix. Yes. Which leads me into a different, also a different couple here. This one was more based around we have to constantly keep busy, not just to fix something, but to stay focused on anything but actually our problems. Because when we actually slow down, we fight. And if not, and we keep busy, we can drink, we can smoke, we can go out and eat, we can go to the hotels and drive our kids to the tournaments. We keep busy with other people around us. <laughs> yeah. I, it's, oh yeah, I guess to each their own, right? Well, yeah, and, and the point of this isn't to make fun of them. No, the, po- the, the point, point is to learn. 
Exactly. And the point isn't to sit and judge her as she's sitting in her pain. You and I don't sit there and think, what a loser or, or what a what a mean what mean parents no my first thought is been there as is mine and and my my thought too is how can I support her how can I support and show her love so she's not feeling shame and judged over this because we can go into feeling shame and judged about what we're doing when we're finally confronted by our own spirit or by another adult because quite often, if our children confront us and they have the temper tantrum on the, on the floor in the skating rink or on the dance hall floor, we think it's their behavior. We're embarrassed, but we put it on them. The kids screaming in the mall, we put it on them, not on us. Because in order to put it on ourselves, we would feel our own shame. So it's not my intention or yours to make them feel shame. It's to give them tools. Yes, and I think I also want to point out that sometimes when we say things harshly, the intention is to help you understand how obvious these things are when you come out the other end of them. Mm. And that someone needs to be able to say it to you or you need to be able to hear it in someone else's voice with a sound that is definitive, with a voice that is confident, so that you don't have a gentle voice saying, could it be that you might not like each other? Because that gentleness, that intonation, that, that lack of confidence allows you to consistently avoid, allows you to say, to stay in your denial. Mm -hmm. To play games. Yes. And I think that is why sometimes when people sit down, they'll say, I don't like you. You say things very matter of fact, but I'm here because I know I need this. Mm -hmm. And it is the difference between sitting in a counseling session where they ask you a question to ponder or reflect on, and you don't have to sink your teeth into the truth. True. They could let you sink, sit in that for another decade. And the difference for you and I is that your spirit's sitting in front of you saying, I'm not giving you a fucking decade. I'm giving you 30 seconds. Yes. And that, I'll say healthy sense of urgency. Yes. Allows you, it, it hits you hard in the heart center. First of all, when you are confronted with something with confidence from the other person, it hits you in your heart center and it either makes sense or it's just so nonsensical. And you're going to know the difference between the two. Mm -hmm. Because if it makes you that uncomfortable, it's hitting the heart center. Mm -hmm. I, and if it's that nonsensical, pardon me, then you can sit, you're probably going to be able to sit there confidently and go, okay, that's enough. Thank you. Mm -hmm. There's a very different energy when you understand what truthfulness feels like when it hits you in the chest. I think it's a relief, Kelly. So many of the clients sit and take a breath at that point and feel and let out a great big sigh. Yeah. And the muscles relax, the pelvis relaxes, the shoulders and back relax. There's such a visceral thing that happens when they finally are confronted with that truth. And I think too, that from the way that I see it and feel it from the spirit world, is that being given that truth in that moment is where the spirit world says, I love you so much that I don't want you to waste another moment. Yeah. And I love you so much. Let's do this together. Yes. I'll equate it to the, the way I feel when I'm on Amanda Yates's table. 
and she's just hit her thumb in the middle of that massive knot in my back. Mm -hmm. And I can have that instant feeling of, first of all, there it is. And I usually yell out, oh my God, this sucks. But there's that choice point in the body where I can feel myself tense. And then I have to go, okay, she's taking care of you. Breathe. And then I have to consciously make an effort to let my body relax so that the problem can be dealt with. Mm -hmm. It's working with the massage therapist or the physiotherapist or your spirit, (laughs) your own body, your own muscles, so that you are in the flow of your own life. Yeah. and And I point out the point at which I say, oh, this sucks, because that is the equivalent of when truthful words hit you in that heart center Mm -hmm. you you're feeling it it's there it's unavoidable at that point so it's how you choose to deal with it going forward that's going to matter and I also want to equate it to in a different situation I'll say to massage therapy again sometimes she goes over a spot and I go what the hell is that are you not just pushing on a bone Mm. and she'll go oh no hun that's a muscle Mm -hmm. and I have to ask a question in order to be educated Mm -hmm. So if something's that uncomfortable and I don't know why, I'm not sitting there going, stop that. I'm saying, okay, can you tell me what this is about now? Wonderful. I know that about you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go back now to this one. I love it. Oh, are you the one keeping us on track today? I am. Oh, how the tables have turned. Yes. Today. (laughs) Oh, you spit in your (laughs) coffee. (laughs) I like when you make me laugh. (laughs) Okay. Um, One of the other things that came up in her session was that, remember I mentioned, oh, they bought a house? Oh, they were having another baby. Oh, she was trying to find out. Her mom kept calling her to let her know this brother and sister had this problem and this one and this one. Here's the next drama. So she was juggling eight to 10 different drama situations all over the place in her life. And this is where her spirit was saying, you're addicted to the drama. And if you can't have enough of it, if if six of them aren't enough, the job, a brother, a sister, a health issue, a divorce in the family, whatever, you're going to create more. There's going to be some with your kids and some with your partner in your own life. So that you're always managing many drama balls. I just thought that was fabulous because she sat there and went, well, what do you mean? Like, you know, like I'm trying to think of different ways to talk to people and your drama balls are huge. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How many drama balls are you bouncing right now? (laughs) Isn't that a wonderful question of emotional intelligence? There's one to put down on a board. How many drama balls? Imagine how many people would like to write that one on the kitchen wall. How many drama balls are you throwing and juggling right now so that their spouse or their child or whoever in their life could stand there and look at them and go, hmm, maybe list them. Aren't you a circus? And the, per- and the spouse or the partner or the roommate could list five more that, they're, that are on the back burners, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And the point in talking about juggling all those drama balls, getting back to it, is that this person believed that that was loving each of those people in each of those balls. By carrying their drama. Yes. Yeah. And by somehow worrying about them, that engaged them in believing that they loved that person. I'm worrying about my son and my daughter, so it must mean I love them. The confusion that is in a person's mind 
when they actually believe that worrying about another person means that you love them. No, it doesn't. It means you don't have your shit together. Or that you don't trust them. It means a whole lot of things. But there needs to be clarity about the truth of what you're doing when you think you're a worrier and you're allowed or you're creating drama like some of these people were talking about. And they define that as loving. Okay. That's tiring. Well, it's exhausting for everybody. Yeah. It's exhausting for the person that's living that life. I call that an energetic hemorrhaging. And I think that makes it 10 times harder, especially in the parent-child relationship, that as the child steps into adulthood in terms of age, where they, quote unquote, should be able to handle things on their own, you're suffering a loss of identity if you've never raised them to trust themselves because you have to be the one to worry about them. And when they step away and start to individuate more and more and maybe even physically distance themselves from you, what do you have left? Well, we found that out, didn't we? And yeah, and there's this the self-righteousness of, well, I've spent 18 years worrying about you. You're not allowed to just leave. Oh, say that again. I've spent 18 years worrying about you. You're not allowed to just leave. You're not allowed to just get married. You're not allowed to just go start your life over. You're not allowed to change your career. You're not allowed. All under the guise of, but I love you. And I say guys, because it really is bullshit. Okay, on to another one. Mm -hmm. Okay, I really like that one. There was so much in um, that couple. Okay. That uh, was such a polite way to say it. <laughs> okay. The next one is a doozy too. Mm -hmm. We talked about it earlier today, Kelly. Like personally? Yeah. Oh. The next client story about love versus is it love or control has to do with, I'll say a boyfriend or a husband, but we can say a wife slash a girlfriend. It doesn't really matter. Who really believes that loving another person in their life means that I have to tell them what to say. Hmm. And so they often will correct them. Oh, that's not you meant, honey. You meant, and they tell them what they meant. Okay, so you mentioned Susan Forward at just <laughs> under 10 minutes. Give me a second here. I'm going to throw out Patricia Evans just around the, the half, half hour mark. Yep. Because she was the one who brought up in, in her show, oh, honey, you're not God and you're not me. You don't know what I meant to say. So it please don't put words in my mouth. Perfect. I tried to do her voice there. I just want to. I just want to be her. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. The the um, correction to the intention to control your image, the the intention to control your brand. I know for you and I personally, it was about our businesses and how we presented ourselves and spoke, and how 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 a uh, human. I'm going to just say a human tried to correct you to say, well, you should have said to the client that the dead person said this. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. In our consent process, we specifically say that we don't interpret information. And I, I can't tell you how many times on a recording, and I'm sure all my clients will attest to this, where I start to say something, I pause and say, hold on, I need their words, not mine. Mm -hmm. Where it really does come out that raw. Oh, yeah. And unfiltered. Yes, and that that person that said that to me wanted to tell me 
how I was supposed to use my own intuitive gifts, that I wasn't allowed to figure them out for myself. Imagine calling that, oh, and I love you. That's, that's where both of those ladies would say that has nothing to do with loving you, Karen. That has everything to do with wanting to control you. You are an extension of That's right. You're an, him. That's right. You're an extension of that person. You're not allowed to have your own identity, your own thoughts, your own experiences, your own feelings. Mm-hmm. So without that person there to tell you how to cope with anything, you'd, I would be just a bag of nerves how would I ever be able to cope with anything so that would leave me in a constant state of anxiety which if anybody's listening to this and you have a person who tells you what to say or what to think and you have any level of anxiety or depression or you feel lost now you know exactly why and now you know exactly who you have to deal with Good. Good example. Yeah, I thought I really thought it was too. It's something that personally, both you and I have gone through in this life. And I'm certain given what our planet is like, many other people can identify with having someone else tell them what they think, Mm -hmm. or what they believe, whether it was, again, whether it was a spouse or um, a sibling, a parent, a teacher, a religious person, a boss, uh, whatever it is, or whomever it is. Is that a good one? <laughs> okay. Um, I liked this one too. So we're going to, can we keep going? How's our timing? Okay. Okay. This one was yours. Oh. This one was the, the autistic son and mom that came Oh. and sat in the driveway. Yeah. Okay. I wrote that one down on the page, Kelly that had everything to do with how um, his messages in that van for you were showing his mom how much she he loved her. Because... Is this the one about the heartbursts? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And and where he said, you know, you're playing my guitar. <laughs> or or <laughs> remember the area? Yeah, yeah, it was his band. She was over singing him in the group. Yeah. And that he was giving you messages to say to his mom because he couldn't communicate for himself verbally. He was setting boundaries with his mom saying, no, I'm the lead singer. No, I'm this. Mm -hmm. And he was saying, I love you, but I need you to know how you function in this relationship. And I loved it because he was autistic, because he was nonverbal. And yet he still, through her love and through their relationship, had such a strong sense of his self. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she, I, she fostered that. Well, and I think this is fantastic for people to listen to because therein itself, this is a human doing it. And then within that, this is a person with autistic challenges. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, if we don't know anybody personally with that is living a life as an, as an autistic person, we might think that they don't know any better. We might think that we have control over these people. And I do think that sometimes if we look at somebody that has a challenge, either mentally or physically, that in loving them, we should control them. Mm-hmm. We should take their voice away. Maybe they don't have one anyway, so who cares? Mm-hmm. And she did not allow that. She gave voice to someone who doesn't ha- doesn't have one in the traditional way. 
cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I tried more in this this second show about love and control to to pull out some that were really truly love situations and some that really truly were control situations but where people could sit back and look at their own behavior towards someone else in their life or where that where they could sit back and look at how maybe they've been parented or partnered or how their children treat them at all these different ages and stages in our life. I often think at the other job that I have uh, as a receptionist, I frequently have opportunities to see mothers and daughters together who do spa services together. And there's always a fight at the front desk about payment, about not being able to be open to, to gratitude and receiving, uh, like just, just control issues at the, at the front desk. And you know, I, and I hear them talk to their estheticians. I hear them talk to their stylists all day, all day. And a lot of the women will say, well, I'm a mother. I'm supposed to worry. Or, well, I'm a mother. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to do these things for them or fix this for them. And I flat out look at them and I'm sure I've made a lot of enemies. They, I say to them, not my mother. Mm, thank not, you. Not my mom. Thank you, Kelly. And they just look at me like, I don't understand the words that just came out of your mouth. Mm. And I don't go into it if they don't ask more questions. I just offer not my mother. Because if they, if that makes them think in their own head, did my mother or where, where it's my way of, of kind of posing the question of where did this belief come from? Mm -hmm. That this is what a mother is for you. Mm -hmm. Because that it, what they're displaying is such a foreign concept to me mm -hmm. that they had to have learned it from somewhere. Right. I think it would go past some of them. <laughs> I think. Oh, I'm sure. And I'm sure most of them want it to because mm -hmm. they don't want to challenge the pattern. They don't want to lose the role. Right. I don't think people really know what to do with their time. I, I joyfully gave up my role of m mothering in many ways to I you and Andrew. Specifically asked us to call you Karen. Yeah, I, I did. I, I, I wanted each of you to be seen as adults because I believed that if you... If you knew that I trusted you, if I knew that I knew you were going to make mistakes, but that didn't mean you weren't an adult. I knew that if I sat back and saw your mistakes and allowed you guys to come forward and share them with me so I could listen or find another person, that didn't mean that you'd stopped loving me. I didn't sit in fear that you would stop loving me. I know. I want to go back because when you asked us to call you Karen, I didn't really understand that at first because we weren't in business with each other at that point. And a lot of people laugh at me now because I always refer to you as Karen and they, they don't know if I'm talking about my mom. But when you originally asked this, I didn't understand. And I could start to feel the shift in energy that when I was saying mom, there was an expectation that you were going to do something for me or respond in a certain way. And when I started to call you Karen, or even still to this day, when I call you Karen, even if I'm still asking something of you, there isn't the same level of expectation. There's, there's a concept in my head that she is an individual. She is a woman. She is a person, not an extension of my needs. Mm -hmm. And I'm so very thankful for that. I, you're so welcome. And I do go back and forth intentionally these days 
between calling you Karen and calling you mom, depending on what it is I am going, I am about to ask you. Mm-hmm. I know that. Yeah. To be very definitive about the role. I know that. And I pause when I hear what you, what you call me. I pause because I recognize there is a shift and I try to match that shift. So if you're saying mom, I know I'm wearing that hat, but I also decide what that hat looks like for me. Mm -hmm. It's not the one that my mother believed she wore or continues to wear. And I know that I don't see the role of mother the same way that my mother does. That when, when I try to show my mom that I see her as an adult or an equal, that she can't accept that. Mm -hmm. She's 90 and she doesn't want to change. So even though I want to give that to her, she has refused it. Mm -hmm. So I have to be able to sit back and know that that has been refused. So if I need to speak to her or approach her about something, I have to remember that she isn't going to see it the same way that I do. She can't wear the different hats. No. And she can't let go of some of the ones either. Yeah. So she still wants to worry about me. And I, I am, and I have individuated from her, but she doesn't want to accept that I have individuated. So I recognize that pre- presents challenges. Mm-hmm. But I have to be able to set the boundaries that make me healthy. Mm-hmm. So I I understand because of the different generations. Well, and I won't just say different generations because I do know other 80 and 90 year olds that don't struggle with that. Yeah, it's It's, personality. Yes. And it's choice. It's choice. I was just going to say it's (laughs) choice. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I want to say um, that I really enjoyed preparing for both of these shows. Yeah, thank you for doing that. You're welcome. And I really hope that people really do get something out of these two shows and that they think, wow, that's worth sharing with somebody. I want to send that off as, you know, to someone to open a discussion. Yeah, I like that you said open a discussion. And I I frequently use in coaching sessions the word invite, because really and truly that's all you can ever do for or with someone else is invite them. And that conversation is, or the invitation to the conversation may be, I would like to be a different daughter. I would like the role of mother to look different. Would you indulge me? Is this something that we can do together? And to add to that, Kelly, I think that if the response is no, I don't want to, or I I will not, or I'm going to listen and I'll say I am, but my actions won't match that, then I really do think that it's worth sitting back and acknowledging that the person has refused your invitation. That's what I was trying to say about my own mom. She has refused that invitation. And I'm trying to say then that I respect the fact that she's refused it. Therefore, it leaves me in a certain situation to make other decisions. Mm -hmm. Because I'm not willing to go back and be codependent. I'm staying where I'm at. Yeah, you still get to be you. And that's the point. That is exactly the point. So if you have a spouse and you sit down and say, listen, I want to discuss this and I want to change this pattern with you. Maybe, you know, you're whining every time I ask you something, you're pulling, you know, remember that story Karen talked about with the babe, and I'm going to ask you to stop saying babe to me and whine, because I'm tired of this. And I want us to communicate as adults. If that woman then continues to say, well, babe, then you have to sit back as that spouse and go, no, 
No, blatant disrespect. I am, I reject what you've just done. I am not speaking to you. When you go into your whining, you pick up your stuff and walk out of the room. Until that person is forced to accept that you will not engage. And that's what I mean about really, truly accepting their response. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, you're hitting a pattern. Yeah, and and they know you're, there's emptiness to your your desires, your demands, however you want to put that. Your th- you could have a million, and I know this because I did this, a million empty threats. Yeah, they, they, and I, I, sorry, I hesitated from using the word threat, but yes, that's essentially oh, it. Well, I'll put it out there. If I'll say that, you know, in, in a relationship, I might say, you know, this needs to change. Oh, yes, it's going to change. Yes, yes, yes. Promise. Break the promise. They know that I'm never really meaning that I'm going to follow through. Mm. And once they know that, because I haven't done it once or twice, I'm snookered. You're okay. You're also 56. Well, it's okay. I, I'm screwed. I'm, I'm fucked. I'm, you, I can say snookered. Anybody, you guys can, I can challenge you okay. to email responses so, in. As the writer of this show as well, how might I spell that? Snookered? I have no clue. Okay, we'll figure it out. Um, I also want to throw out there too, and I'm sure this is, unless this is your first podcast, this is not new information. We always do resources, and this is the perfect show to offer Susan Forward's book, Toxic Parents, as well as Toxic In-Laws, and Mothers Who Can't Love. I also want to offer Controlling People by Patricia Evans. Yes, and The Verbally Abusive Relationship. I think you should also throw out the book Emotional Blackmail. And that's Dr. Susan Forward as well. Yeah. Um, simply because both of those women, as, as well as Beverly Angel, Nina Brown. Both of Brown, those queens. Yeah. <laughs> I want to throw some other queens with uh, out there, though, too. Beverly Angel is another one that's coming on to do podcast shows. Mm-hmm. Nina Brown, Robin Stern, Dr. Robin Stern. They're wonderful authors that are addressing all of these topics where they give you the tools. If you have a partner that's open to this, that's great. Buy the book and share it. But if you have a partner that isn't open to it, then you need it even more. You need it even more. I said that twice. On purpose. Okay. Okay, I'm done. Always leave it at Karen's dramatic finish. Well... I'm not making fun of you. Yeah, I, I I say that they need it more because they are the ones more in pain. They're the ones that are probably more stuck in a cycle or a pattern and yeah. don't know how to change it. And that's why I'm just saying they need it more because they don't have a partner that really is engaged in a loving relationship. Mm-hmm. They have a partner engaged in a controlling relationship. And you need it more to love yourself enough to either get out or to... See if they're going to do the change and if it's worth worth your life to be in it. Cool. Uh, so if you have questions or comments about today's show or last week's as well as part one, you can email us at info at Otherwise, we hope you have a wonderful week.